0: Coming through. Welcome to the Educate US Podcast. With your host, Nick Severi, Dr. Stacy Schultz and Dr. Patrice Fenton. Three former teachers and administrators, talking about a wide range of topics happening in education. Time to educate us. Thank you as always for listening to the Educate US Podcast. Um, we're excited, as always, to bring a great conversation, in this case, two of them, to you all today. So my colleagues and I, we always like to talk about what you know, what we're hearing from our show. And one thing that comes up lately has been this idea of, you know, we're hearing more about like what we're educating folks on. So with that in mind, brings us to our theme today. But before jumping into that, for our loyal listeners, again, as always, you're Find our show, you can go over to leonmedianetwork.com, see all the links to how to access our program, and you can jump over to Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, you'll find us as well. You can email us, email the show at show at gmail.com. Once again, show at gmail.com. We appreciate all comments, all questions as, we're in, as we try to provide a learning space for you all. So learn, be, in, be sure to learn alongside us. In the spirit of learning, I'm going to go over to my colleague Stacy today. Well, and to Patrice as well, because before we jump into content, I've talked about this before. I'm a keep advocating for this about personal care and where your friends are. <laughs> There's ways to other ways to say, it, but I'll just leave it there. But just a personal check-in for everyone here, uh, Patrice. To you first. How are you? Where are you? And I don't mean that geographically. Just in the grand scheme of things, of of life and everything that it holds. That it holds. Harry, what what brings you here today? How are you doing?
1: Well, I can share. I'm in Stone Mountain, Georgia. That's my physical where. Um, but I, I will also share what's been sitting with me, particularly today as I had a coaching session. I want to shout out my coach, Shauna Wells from Wells Coaching and Consulting. Um, she centers her coaching practice on legacy building. And so this is kind of what's been on my mind. Um, what is the legacy that I want to leave with the work that I'm doing? Um, how does it all fit together? And how am I contributing to it on a daily basis? So I see this podcast as part of that. Stacy and I are writing that book, um, helping to co-found an organization, supporting leaders, all of that. So really being thoughtful about that and thinking about how I want to extend that work, speaking of geography beyond um, this country. So that was where I was sitting today and sort of trying to think about what needs to happen in the present in order to make that future vision come, come to light, come to pass.
0: Stacey, how are you doing?
2: Well, it's about 1015 at night, so. (laughs) I'm ready to sign off. (laughs) But um, we did have uh, an amazing or a conversation um, that I'm really excited about. Had a great weekend. Um, I'm currently in a program at Georgetown through their, uh, Institute for Transformational Leadership and have had just some really amazing deep conversation and reflection points that I'm really loving. There's just phrases I've been writing down and reflecting on really deeply. And it's a little grim, but it, it's still sitting with me. It's like broken promises live in our bones there was a phrase that really stuck with me when I walked out of, uh, of that book. Right. It's like, what are the kinds of things that we, um, don't consider, right? It's almost like that, right? Like when we say a yes, we think we're being helpful, but sometimes that's leading us down these roads of overtaking too much or being overwhelmed. And what does that really lead us into? Um, so, Patrice shared a couple of weeks ago, winter, I also love that stillness and invitation of sort of hibernation and um, pausing right before that rebirth of spring and, and really just kind of sitting with a lot of that, like, where is energy? Where do we put our energy? How do we think about all those things, um, both for my family, myself, the work we do, just all of it.
0: In the, spirit of, in the spirit of coaching, as you both have talked about, I sit today actually coming from earlier today, a really great coaching session that I did. So some of the work I do, of course, at our organizations, I, I coach leaders. So uh, a session I had today focused on just what do we look for when we visit classrooms? How do we discipline ourselves to, to realize as leaders that we don't have to spend a whole lot of time? what we're constantly doing is taking temperature and making sure that as instructional leaders we're spending time in classrooms just to informally collect data it's not always about those two times a year one time a year where you're formally doing it you know for contractual obligations and such but realistically as a as a leader of a building as a leader of a school really, just taking a temperature constantly of what's going on. So it was really awesome to see the data that was collected today. I'm always a huge nerd about looking at data with those I coach. And today it was just a awesome collection of things that have been seen and trends that we saw. So really exciting stuff. I bring up glimpse glimpses into the classroom to segue into some perspectives that we've collected and share or going to share with you all today about what does it mean for the experiences from a student and we've talked about students before but tonight we talk we hear rather the perspective of a student who brings other dimensions to through their eyes what they see as a student in a classroom and then we also do that from the lens of a parent as an advocate as an educator as well what she sees so to dive further into that i go to my colleague stacy
2: Thanks, Nick. It's, it was a great honor to have two family members on our podcast tonight, um, both my son Lucas and my cousin uh, Megan, both on the show with us today and really talking about their experiences and what they're seeing. Although I do, we did joke, but it is kind of real. Lucas was very tame when he was in front of a microphone and we were, that record button was on because wow. And, and we all laughed, right? As soon as the record button went off, he was like, let tell you what I was laughing about, <laughs> you know? And so it was interesting, though, the record button made him pause and think, well, what is it? I re- Could I say this differently? There was something really interesting in his reflection there. I really appreciated that. But at the same time, did um hope he would share some more of his candid thoughts. But he did give us a glimpse into just what is school like? And what I really took away from some of that was it's a lot of time. A lot of time. Could it be less time? (laughs) I just really heard him exploring that. You'll hear more in his voice. And uh, Megan really explored a lot um, for uh, with us, right, and talking about disability and access and inclusion, and talking about how do we consider that and how do we build that into, uh, as she says, our own lexicon, so that we can take steps and efforts and energies towards designing a world where everyone has access and inclusion.
3: Your website should be a marketing asset, not an engineering challenge. Empowering everyone from independent designers to whole marketing teams, Webflow combines the power of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and places them all in a completely visual canvas.
2: Trusted by companies like Lattice and Discord, it changes the way marketers, designers,
3: and engineers create for the web. Now you can build the site you want without the dev time.
0: Start building for
2: free at webflow.com. Today we have Lucas, my second son that is now on the show with us. Um Lucas, thanks for coming on. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your school experience, Luke?
4: I mean, honestly, I it kind of, for me it kind of depends the teacher that I get, but this year in 5th grade, I'm not loving my teacher, but I mean, I'm getting used to it.
2: Okay. Can you tell us a little bit of what do you like about school
4: and what you don't like about school? I like the most of the specials that we have. I like recessed lunch. I mean, I also like dim- dismissal a lot, but um, I feel like i don't like when we get too much homework or like we just have to do so much on a half day because we don't have the amount of time that we usually have and yeah
0: lucas you were talking about your particular teacher in fifth grade in general for any teacher that you have what do you what do you hope that they give you as a student what do you hope that they bring you know to your classroom to yourself and to your and to your classmates what are the what are the qualities that you look for in a teacher who's going to be most helpful for you
4: I mean in third grade I got a really nice teacher and um I they pretty much just let me like they told me when I was doing something wrong they didn't yell at me they they gave us extra time if we needed to and then after the extra time we don't get we don't get any more but that's fair but um I just like want them to be nice and I want them to be like welcoming and not like oh first day go get your book and let's do some math. Like I want them to introduce their self and and then we can get to know each other
0: yeah lucas if you don't mind expanding on that um previously we ha- when we had on your brother we've had other students all that talked about you know what they look for in a teacher and in the classroom that they're in and it sounds like that's kind of what you're talking about the way a teacher speaks to you the way they sort of set their expectations can you just tell us a little bit more of you know ideally what what do you hope a teacher provides you when when you're a student in their classroom
4: i want to I want them to give me the help I need. And, like, I don't want them to be, like, well, you got to figure it out. I want them to, like, show me how, not the actual thing. Just, like, give me an example that I can get the idea instead. And I want them to be social. And they I want them to, like, allow me to, like, do my thing like do it my way but then if not like how I can change it so I can like check my work with the way I like to do it.
2: So Luke you have uh, ADHD and some other things that you uh, get different kinds of supports for and need different kind of supports for from teachers and other staff. What is it like for you in school?
4: I mean, I don't really like to like, it's hard for me to focus a lot or like when they're talking and there's a lot of directions, it's hard for me to like understand them. And like I get on one direction, try to figure it out and then I'm not focused on any of the other ones. And it's also like, I'm just unfocused most of the time and I like that I have paras and people who can help me out, take me on breaks so I can get my bearings and like get ready to keep going and then, but it's also really hard for some people to understand that I have ADHD and then they kind of like are like, oh, well, you didn't hear the directions. I uh, Well, just, it's fine, you can do it. And I just don't like that because it's hard for me. And also I hate when I'm in a crowded space because I'm trying to hear everything, but I'm focused on one person. And then another thing, another person says something that's important, but I'm I'm focused on this one person and it's hard to focus on more than one thing.
1: Thanks for sharing that, Lucas. I'm, I'm curious, um, cause you seem to have really great awareness of your challenges. Have you been able to develop any things that you can do to sort of, um, get ahead of like some of the focus challenges you have or, um, just things that you, you've developed to help you to sort of stay on track?
4: Um, well, I've, been for a long time going to therapy to help me with that and it gives me like I can use coping skills like deep breathing I can take a break a mental break sometimes a physical break sometimes it depends what's the situation and I also have been developing like things to help me with my focus by doing one it's like kind of when I'm going there and different people ask me questions and put me through situations and I try to like figure them out. And then after a while, my brain gets used to it. And then it's easier for me to focus on more than one voice talking at once.
2: So I'm really interested, Luke, in an ideal world, and and you've shared some of these ideas with me before, but in an ideal world, what would school look like? and feel like for you
4: I kind of like a four-day weekend because four and three is much more fair than five and two and also it will give you more time to like do your like catch up on work that you need to do and like I'm okay with four more like difficult days and we have to pack more things into them no like free time I'm fine with that but if we get one day off every week, that's also fair. But another thing I would like about school is that for summer break, when we have summer break, I want it to be more like from, like, January. <laughs> summer break from January? Um, I mean, July oh. to more like October. Up- October, because then it's more time to finish, finish up your final things with school. And then you also get a break. And then when you go back in, you're already like getting adapted. So you, and then you're closer to the um fall break. And then so let you adapt to like after summer, and also another thing I would like to change about school is, well, this is mostly for elementary school, is I kind of want there to not to be like only one teacher or two teachers. I want there to be more teachers that you can rely on because let's say one teacher is not there. We're going to need a a different teacher to be there. And then a different class is going to lose their teacher and another class is going to lose their teacher and so on and so on. And then it's going to affect the whole school. And I don't really like that because then I'm like, oh, well, we have a para. But then everyone else is. Then I'm talking to my friends at lunch, and they're like, "Oh my god, th- this was a terrible day. I don't like that."
0: Lucas, as we start to come to a close for this conversation, again, thank you for joining us. You know, oftentimes a lot of the listeners that we have are are, are educators. You know, they're either currently teaching or they've previously taught. What advice would you give to any teacher listening to this conversation today about how to create an environment that's that's most helpful for students? who need need additional support?
4: Maybe, because there's a lot of things about, like, let's say one teacher is more of do the work fast and put it down. You have this amount of time to copy, this amount of time to write it down. And then the other teacher, when they're teaching, they're more like, take as much time as you need. And it's hard for me for me to like just change from going, have to go speed and then slowing down myself because let's say it might be harder and the questions might be harder, but I, but my brain is adapted that I need to do it fast. So I would like more for the teachers to like when you're paired together to, to teach, um I want them to be like around the same like like either low, give you the amount of time to finish or fast or altogether just in the middle because it's hard for me for me and a lot of students I think to adapt to different teachers be, because th- there are different speeds of how they want to do things
0: Lucas thank you so much for your time and just and sharing yeah, what's important to you and what, what we should all be considering when we, for our students in the classroom. Thanks,
2: Luke. Yeah.
0: This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation.
2: We have a second guest with us tonight, Megan Lichkowski. She is a former special educator, a disability advocate, and a mom of three. Thank you for joining us, Megan.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: Um, For a first question here. So as I just mentioned in that intro, you're a mom your former educator and your disability advocate. Can you tell us a little bit about each of those and how they intersect for you? Yeah, um, so uh, interestingly,
3: I was drawn into the education field a little later in life. That makes me sound a lot older than I was. But, you know, a lot of people get into education straight out of college. I I worked in nonprofit management. I worked in early intervention with children with disabilities. And then I decided to get my special education certification and my master's in education. Um, And I worked as a special educator in Philadelphia, um, teaching and and, um, supporting students with disabilities of all types. Um, And I, I fancied myself a really wonderful advocate for those students and and their families uh, and then a few years later i had twins myself i'm the mom of three and my now nine-year-old twins um, both are autistic um, but my one little guy miles has pretty significant medically complex disabilities um, so we were sort of thrown into the other side of of that world of having a child with significant disabilities and sort of seeing all the ways Sort of all the blind spots I had as a as an educator, um, and as an advocate in that world prior to living the life and sort of um, having that lived experience. Um, so, you know, now as a mom and as a as a person who's who's walked the world of education and now walks the world of parenting a child with there were two children with disabilities and we have a third son as well. So we're you know it's a, it's a I call it my three ring circus. Um, we uh, i I bring a very um I try to bring a very metered approach to my advocacy uh, for children with disabilities and for people with disabilities. I understand the ins and outs of education. I understand um, the unique challenges that teachers and and schools face. Um, and what I now see is how they very, very often misunderstand the experience of their students with disabilities.
0: Megan, just going back to what you mentioned about just the training and the experience that you had before becoming, before, you know, sort of stepping into the official space educationally, right? What did you find to be the difference or sort of the, um, I don't want to lead this, but I imagine that the second you step into a school or a classroom setting, everything you've learned so far from the theoretical to the practical is met with constructs and policy and the politics of being an educator, at least for as much I know in in the United States, but and also in the world of special education. What was sort of that moment that you had where everything you've learned and everything you've, you've been applying is being met with these barriers or just other realities that you don't necessarily hear about or experience firsthand until you're in the classroom?
3: yeah, that's a great question. And I think you know i can I can take that and then I can maybe even take it a step further into you know, parenthood and being on the other side of that table. Um, what I actually found interesting was i I felt like um, even with a, a master's in special education, there you know, I'm, I'm sure all of us as former educators can attest to the fact that your your actual formal training does not necessarily wholly prepare you for the reality of classroom life. <laughs> Um, and it certainly doesn't, it, you know, I taught in one of the lowest income neighborhoods in Philadelphia. Um it, it's a, an amazing community with a lot of struggles. Um, and my students were already facing economic, racial, um all kinds of disparities, all kinds of barriers just to access life and education. And then my students in particular had disability on top of that. So I think one of the things that was really unique to me getting into that space was I walked in with this, what I thought was, you know, this um, awareness, this allyship, this um, readiness to try to meet students where they were. Um, but what I found was there's a lot to be said for um, equity and inclusion when we're talking about a lot of those other minority groups. And oftentimes, people with disabilities are left out. And that was what I sort of found as a special education teacher. Oftentimes, there was a lot of wonderful things planned um, for the community. Um, Our school was doing a lot. Um, Schools in the region were doing a lot around equity and inclusion. Um, But oftentimes, that left Dis- disabled children, or or individuals with disabilities, or families supporting people with disabilities, out of it. Um, and the the sort of ironic, funny, not funny flip side of that is, a lot of <laughs> a lot of what we talk about with with diversity, equity, and inclusion was all started from those early um, civil rights issues brought to the forefront by disabled individuals. Um, so equity and inclusion, particularly inclusion, was the forefront of the battle for people with disabilities. Um, And now they're sort of being left back, um, and and a little bit out of that. And what's equally interesting about that is, or sort of unique about that, when you think of any sort of, um, when you think of any marginalized group, oftentimes you're born into that group. Um, You, you know, you don't choose to be the you don't choose to be your race you don't choose to be um lgbt you you may or may you may or may not be able to choose your vendor your your gender um but you haven't really chosen that right like you can uh, that's that's something that came out in you um anybody can become disabled at any time so you can't really become another race you can't become another um other type of presentation you can become disabled. So it's, it's this, um, population of individuals that can intersect with any other population of individuals. And oftentimes it's left out of the equation. Um, I personally found, um, that it was really difficult, difficult to advocate for my students effectively. Um, if I was trying to get them everything I thought they needed, um, because trying to get something for one student that wasn't going to impact the whole school was a really difficult lift for a school that doesn't have a lot of um, financial wiggle room, right? Um, And we all know funding is what it is with schools. And we know that schools are struggling and staffing is terrible. And um, there's all these issues that schools are facing. So unfortunately, what I found was that design was happening for the larger population. And then maybe we could make adjustments for the people who needed it. And what that leaves you with is non-inclusive and non-accessible spaces. Um, So rather than engaging in true universal design, um, which would sort of address that big issue, um, where schools are sort of, I don't wanna say forced to, because they're not forced to, but I think the habit is there to take the approach of, let's do what's going to impact the most and then we'll figure out if we can do the thing that impacts the one or two that needs something else. Um, which, you know, going in, pie-eyed thinking, oh, I have, I'm a special educator and I'm going to impact all these students. And then finding that I didn't actually have the capacity to do that when I was hitting barriers within, within the school, within the district, whatever it was. Um, because my population of students wasn't, um significant enough if you will to make those grand changes or to make expensive changes or whatever that might be um, and then I could I could launch into how that looks as a parent on the other side of the table but I'll let you guys <laughs> um see if there are any anything bounces off of you from any of that
1: well yeah first thank you for that um and I, I actually would love to hear about it from the parent perspective I actually will want to sort of um, going on something you just named, you just called out. You talked about equity and inclusion, and I'm also a fellow uh, former, but almost always a special education okay. teacher taught in a self-contained setting. Um, so a lot of the things you're naming were very, very akin to my own experience with the young people I was serving at the time. Um, so I wonder about access. So you use this word, um, one, so as the name of our show implies, we like to educate our listeners. So I'd love if you could just define for our listeners, what do we mean when we say access when it comes to folks with disabilities? And, and then um, if in an ideal world, you were able to get some of those things to happen, those barriers weren't there, what would that look like? And uh, you know, speak to it as a teacher, also from the parent lens, whichever works.
3: Yeah, it's almost like you and I talked before this because you just like you just like set a thought that I was having. Um but I swear everybody, we did not talk before this. <laughs> um I you know, one of the things I like to educate folks on and that's why I love this podcast is that you you know, you have this forum where you're um you're not assuming people know what they don't know. Um and that's That's just the truth. And that's the place I try to come from while I'm a frustrated parent oftentimes, or I was a frustrated educator. When people haven't walked the walk, they don't necessarily know what the world feels like walking through it in those shoes. Um, So we'll give grace and we'll educate. Um, There's, you know, there's, there's two terms that get thrown around a lot when you're talking about supporting individuals with disabilities, there's accessibility and there's inclusion. And sometimes those two things get conflated, but they are very different things. Um, they often overlap, um, but the thing that I think is interesting and I like to point out to people is that um, one, one can exist without the other, but the other can't exist without the one. So spaces may be accessible. There may be ramps, elevators, wide doorways, changing areas um, in bathrooms, etc. cetera. But if the the curriculum, if the instruction, if the culture of the school is not inclusive, then that school is still not accessible to a child with a disability. So it can be accessible as a space, as an environment, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's inclusive. And on the flip side of that, a school can tout inclusion until the end of the day but if the building itself isn't accessible and the classrooms aren't accessible and those other um, supporting features of the actual environment aren't there and don't allow the person to access that building, how inclusive is your school really? Um, there's a lot of examples, you know, to give about um, non-inclusive spaces. I'll focus more on access. because um, that's what we, you know, that's what we start, started to focus on. Accessibility can look really different from place to place. Um, you know, I, what's interesting to me and what I like to point out is, the Americans with Disabilities Act was enacted in 1990. I was already in go, almost going into middle school at that point. So prior prior to that. There was necess- There was no necessarily like a, not, not a law that required that buildings, that spaces, that environments think about how individuals with disabilities will access will access those spaces. Um, schools included, and and we know that as educators, you know, inclusion was a hard fought battle by a wonderful group of parents that came before us. Um, but ex- again, accessibility and inclusion were two different battles happening at the same time that often overlapped but didn't always happen in the same spaces. Um, and one without the other is sort of useless. Um, I can give an example of, you know buildings that are accessible, but are they really inclusive? We um, just even from my from my experience with with my own students, we are, um, the, one of the schools that I I taught in was a, a wonderfully large school, four floors, lots of space, huge gym, big um, cafeteria, wide hallways. We did have some individuals. We had some students in wheelchairs. We had some students who used um, um, crutches, things of that nature. We had an elevator that broke all the time. <laughs> so My classroom was the self-contained middle school classroom for ELA. I was on the first floor near the lunchroom, which was the main accessible entrance into the building. And unfortunately, what that meant was that when the high schooler who used a wheelchair came to school and the elevator was not working, he was stuck in my class all day. That was the solution, was for that student to just sort of like hotel in my classroom for the day. While they tried to get the elevator fixed. Um, and it felt, you know, for lack of a better term, it felt icky to me at the time, but I didn't really know how to express that. Um, I couldn't quite put my finger on what we could have done instead. Um, I did recommend maybe I switched classrooms for the day, um, but those were not the types of um, switcheroos. That everybody was willing to do because it was oh it was one student he'll hang out in your class for the day but now you put yourself in that student's shoes and what that student just got told and what everybody else in the school got told what everybody walked away from with the what the unwritten lesson there was was that person has less value they don't need to get where they're going They're fine just sitting somewhere else for the day. Everybody else go about your day accessing your education the way you intended today. That kid will be fine for the day just sitting in the class that's six years behind him. And that's unacceptable. But these are the types of things that happen in schools across America every day. Um, And it doesn't seem like a big deal at the time. It's one day. It's one day, you know, three times a month. That's how many times a year, how many times... Does every student in that school who sees that happen walk away with that lesson? Um, and then they go out into the world with this idea that perhaps people with disabilities don't need to get into spaces the way that, that they do, or they, you know, they're fine, just they, maybe they're not in the workplace. Maybe they're not, you know, we didn't value them in the educational building. We're not going to value them in a, in a in a in an office building. Um, and that's the unfortunate sort of snowball effect of, of those types of situations.
0: Megan, do you find that while education in general touts itself as trying to achieve a focus around equity and inclusion, that often there's an equality model at hand? I mean, yes, there's bias, obviously. But you gave the example earlier or the model of sometimes for an individual student or two in your classroom as a teacher, it was harder to get the things that they needed. whereas if if it was all students or the majority of students, it seemed more of a pressing need or something was more likely to be the impetus for a school to take action. Yeah. So do you find that, that structurally there's a, there's a, there's a problem with the, <laughs> I guess like, is this a matter of design flaw? Is that schools yeah. are, okay.
3: And I wouldn't say it's like, you know, it's not just schools. It's, you know, it's societal design flaws. And again, we'll sort of, we'll, we'll hearken back to the fact that the ADA is, is a good bit younger than me. And that's scary. Um, I don't, I don't like to think I'm that old. So, um, that's, that's a pretty young, uh, that's a pretty young law, you know? Um, and it's, and it's not extensive. It's not, um, it's hard. It's hard to, um, it's hard to enforce. It's not a, it's not a easily enforceable law. Um, and I think, You know, as as time moves on, we have all these examples. Right. Um, I'm sure anyone can say, oh, my favorite restaurant, let's go to my favorite restaurant. But if you were taking your friend in a wheelchair, could your friend in a wheelchair enjoy that same favorite restaurant? Maybe. Maybe not. It Depends where you live. Depends when the building was built. Um, There's a lot of workarounds for the ADA. And you know, I'm a I'm an antiques lover. I love a good old building. I'm not necessarily, you know, I get a little sad when we have to take out the old fixtures of something because they're not they're not designed in a way that's inclusive to everybody. But we want people to get into the spaces that they deserve to be in. Um, so I think you know, it takes time, um, but it shouldn't take this much time for us to adjust the way we see the world. Um, and the way that we design the world and um, the you know sort of goes back to that universal design theory Um, if we were always designing things with sort of the most complicated situation in mind or the most complex student in mind then we would inadvertently or just effectively solve problems that we didn't even know were going to be problems by way of having thought out the most complicated situation or the most complex need um and then we're already hitting the needs of those sort of lower level situations um so you know that's the hope is that moving forward design would would go in that direction but unfortunately what we see often is new spaces new school buildings new office buildings whatever it is are um are designed or are, are built. And um, there's a lot of oops after the fact. Oh, we didn't realize, you know, oh, we made it, we we see it with um, accessible playgrounds often. They'll you know, put in the wonderful swing that's that's you know, has a harness, and there might be some ramps throughout so kids on wheels can enjoy it, but there's steps to get into the playground. <laughs> so like, well you didn't think the whole situation through um we had a um, another situation i can think of with a student who the school had multiple um multiple accessible entrances and the classrooms were were organized in a way that the student uh in a wheelchair could access but what we found out was that we this was a school in a city and the recess space um, during some construction, the ramp had been taken out. So this student could no longer access the recess space that their class was assigned to. Now there were a few other recess spaces, one of which could have been accessible. What we found was that that student was being left in the classroom for recess while their class enjoyed that same space rather than adjusting the recess schedule for a while so that the one student could be included Now that class would have had to go through a different part of the building. And for whatever reason, a a building full of educators, including special educators, not one adult thought, yeah, we should do that. (laughs) So I think it is a design flaw. I think it's a perspective um, issue. I think like many things, again, you know, when you're not living that experience, it's really tough to think around it. Um, but it's it has to become more um, intentional. Um, we're doing a lot of intentional work around other populations, and that's important and necessary. And we need that to continue. Um, but it is it's um, it's really in, invaluable to start considering, particularly educators, because I you know I, I try to say this to my son's teachers they're not just teaching my son. They're not just giving my son access to school. They're giving all their other students access to my son. Um, so they're giving them access to a friend with disabilities. They're giving, you know, we're, they're, they're seeing a person engage in the world. And my son doesn't stand or walk independently. He doesn't talk, he uses a communication device. Um, he has a really unique way of accessing his world and his education. And students his age are wonderful about that, and they're wowed by it, and they, they want to participate, and they want to support him, and they want to befriend him. Um, and the more we separate that experience, the less those, those wonderfully inclusive children are going to grow up to um, be adults that do you know what we hope they do.
0: I know Stacey had a question, but as you said that, Megan, it I smile and I also frown at the same time because it never is about the students. You know, there's something about students in that nascent age where they they just seem to get it. Empathy yeah. is still there. They just they there's nothing that that just makes them all all the sense in the world that yeah. this is a student where they are, and I'm just with them.
3: Yeah, because they're still learning the world, right? Mm. Um, they're still learning the world. They're still learning people, um, and there's just such a curiosity and there's such an acceptance. I did a really brief exercise. I visited my son's classroom last year when he was in second grade, and just really quickly, I did the the playground example. I said, you know, we taught we were talking about people with disabilities and how to be inclusive, and I and I just really quickly, I you know a group of second graders said if you were if you were building a playground you know you guys you my son's name is Miles you know Miles you've been in school with Miles for a few months now um if you were building a playground and so that everybody could use it so even a person who doesn't see really well could use it and somebody who doesn't hear really well can use it and who miles on wheels can use it and in ten minutes, those kids had the best inclusive playground, and one kid said, "Well, we better make sure they can get in, so everything better be flat And you know, and another student said, "Well, the swings should be all different heights so that people of different sizes can use them and i I didn't have to give any examples or suggestions. The kids just thought of it um and you know, there's uh blueprint designers and uh all all kinds of adults who went to a lot of school and get paid a lot of money who don't think of these things you know um and that sort of brings me to the other point of you know I think the reason that a lot of this still happens and you know this goes this goes with with all marginalized groups I'd say right um is that the voices of the impacted people are not brought to the table Um, And this happens more so I would, I would say with individuals with disabilities, Um, sometimes, again, because the table is not accessible. (laughs) So if you're not making space, literal space at the table, physical space at the table, um, then you're just going to continue to make the same mistakes.
2: And that's going to lead us into our next question. But before we do, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about that creativity that young people have. And in fact, they've done studies, right? As kids actually go through school, their creativity and problem solving tends to dip. Um, And also we see these like wonderful, fun challenges that adults do and yet can't come up with as many ideas or like solutions as our young people can. So it's just we see that time and time again. Um, I want to build on, you gave us a couple tips on what can schools, um, I would stretch this to agencies, right? Designers, government officials, et cetera, do to support um, students with disabilities and their families or caregivers. You spoke about the space, right? Getting a seat at the table, have the impact it populations at the table. You also spoke about that universal design. Are there any other ways that, I mean, I, I know there's a lot, but what are some of the other ways that you might want to point out to our audience today of how schools, agencies, and governments, etc., can really be thinking and supporting that um, students with disabilities?
3: I think what every listener can do is, is um, if you're if you're genuinely interested in impacting the world and making it more accessible and making sure that it, um, spaces are um, built and um, not only built but welcoming of uh, individuals with disabilities, is to familiarize yourself with disability. Spend some time um, reading um, books by disabled authors. It doesn't even necessarily have to be um, nonfiction, it can be fiction, you know, um, but there are some really, you know, there are some really great, I should have made a list now that I'm, now that we're talking, I'm like, wow, I should have really made a list of some good books and things, but, um, anything, and this sort of ties into the average person and also educators, you know, build disability into your lexicon, um, build accessibility, inclusion, and, um, and just, understanding the disabled experience into your vocabulary, into your thought process, into your perception of the world. Um, there's um Judy Human is one of the all-time great uh disability rights activists who we just lost. Um but she, you know, familiarize yourself with her work. Um you know I obviously I don't you know if anybody has not watched Crip Camp yet, watch Crip Camp. Um, Judy Heumann actually does, uh, there's some great books that are on multiple grade levels. So you um, can read her autobiography as an adult, but there's also a version that's really geared toward middle school students. Um, So look for those things. Um, And we live in the day and age of TikTok and content. There's endless disabled content creators out there um, who are sharing their lived experience if people are interested in hearing. I love um, Imani Barberin. Her uh, her her sort of online persona is called Crutches and Spice, and she that's her. She's on crutches and she's spicy, um, and she's brilliant. She's a PR person, and she um, she is no filter. You know, you really hear what her experience is like, and you get to see the way that the world responds to her, and it's not pretty. Um, and she shares that very very clearly. Um, there's another great uh organization that are actually Pennsylvania based, Laughing at My Nightmare uh is the name of the <laughs> the name of the org. Um, and it's a, a a guy, I say a young man, but he's he's a grown-up now, he's got a wife, and um they uh they do online content and that's you know, we just try to make it um meaningful and accessible to people and not too too serious. It's called laughing at my nightmare. And there's a lot for adults, the, um, he's a man with, um, I'm going to get his condition wrong. I want to say he has a, um, a condition that, um, causes some level of muscular atrophy. So he's wheelchair, he's a wheelchair user. Um, and he is married to an able-bodied woman and they share content that's very, very personal. Um, in the hopes that people can see that there are numerous experiences in in life and an able-bodied woman and a disabled man can live happily married um, and have a a meaningful and wonderful life together. Um, But they also do a lot of content for school-aged kids. So you can contact them and they'll do visits at schools and talk about inclusivity and accessible spaces um, but at a level geared toward the the grade level that you um, that, that that we're working with. Um, yeah, I think that's really you know, it's really sort of learning that um, a nothing about us without us. Um, please stop planning and designing things without uh, without the voices of the individuals and the input of the individuals you're serving at the table. Um, And, you know, when you're thinking, particularly educators, I presume, and I hope that there's a lot of educators who tune into this podcast, um, really think outside of your own experience and even outside of the experience of your students and what you know at your own school um, and think about how, um, how design really impacts the the real accessibility and the real inclusion of, of students and then eventually adults in the world.
2: Well, thank you, Megan, for coming on the show and sharing those final tips. So helpful to, and, and, you know, that's a phrase that you said, nothing about us without us is a phrase that goes back to one of our first episodes. Um, oh. So it's great to hear it being brought back and it, and it really resonates with all of us here. Is there anywhere that people can follow your work or, um, you know, keep up with what you're doing in the advocacy space and, and, in, in the world at large?
3: Um, you know, I'm just kind of floating out there. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I'm no longer in the classroom. A lot of my, uh, a lot of my advocacy work stems from my lived experience with my son, um, and my sons, um, but I do, I do a lot of work um, with an organization called Vision for Equality in Philadelphia. Um, I also do a lot of work with the Technology Assisted Children's Home Program. Um, and um, I deliver trainings around, um, more, mostly around home and community-based services, um, advocating for um, making sure that individuals with medically complex disabilities Uh, have the supports they need to live support, well-supported, meaningful lives at home and in their community where they belong. Um, So, but, you know, I have a LinkedIn, I have a very complicated name, but you're, you're more than welcome to find me on LinkedIn. Um, And but other than that, I'm just, I kind of bounce all over. (laughs) I should find a
2: space to exist though. So thank you for saying that. (laughs) No problem. Thank you again. Um, Have a wonderful rest of your evening. Thanks for having me. It was great to see all of
0: you. Thank you for listening to the Educate Us podcast. Subscribe to the show available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please, please, please leave us a review or comment wherever you can. We want to hear from you. If you have a question, comment, or just want to be part of the conversation, email us at theeducateusshow at gmail.com. This has been a production of Leon Media Network. I'm Nick Saveri.
1: I'm Patrice
2: Winton. And I'm Stacey Schultz.
0: We'll see you next time.